you are listening to Demise, the podcast with Patrick Attaway, my podcast where I discuss writing specifically today, Dry You Out, by none other than Patrick Attaway. So this was a short story that I wrote last year in a series of short stories that I intended to be published in academic journals because I wanted to flesh out my vitee, and instead I self-published them this year and barely anyone read them. And I think Dry You Out was the first one that I took down as soon as it was published. I can't really remember at this point, but uh, we've still got Welcome to Purgatory that's coming out Monday, and by Monday afternoon I'll probably take it off Amazon because I am going to be publishing these short stories in a book together along with my novella, A Painter. So A Painter has also been taken down. Not very many people have read that, but there is a full episode of me reading it. And let me remind you that this is not an audiobook podcast, but I do read a lot on the podcast. But for that episode, I did read the entire novella. And so it took me several days to get that worked out. And Prior to me starting this story and interrupting myself as we go along and dissecting it, because I haven't read it since I I wrote it, I don't think, so there's that, but also I wanted to talk briefly about the Nero series that's coming out on the podcast as well as the next episode for next week, so uh, before I do that, if you would like to support the podcast... You may do so by purchasing my books on Amazon. I have poetry books. I have novels. I have short story collections. And you can get my poetry books for 99 cents on Kindle. Presently, you can only get a couple of them in paperback. I believe I left Illusion Delusion up as a paperback because I like the small edition. But pretty soon you're going to only be able to buy those last few in an upcoming collection called Parked in the Flower Bed, which is a title that I took from the movie HUD. Unlike previous weeks, I'm drinking out of my big stainless steel Yeti. And this morning, because of constipation, yes, it happens to all of us, I had to fill this thing up with my red, white, and blue sparkling water and drain it and I also had some coffee today which I don't normally do but I just needed to make something happen and boy did it however beyond um, supporting the podcast by buying my books I often forget to, to tell you about my music the music that you hear at the start and the end of this podcast is all composed by me and you can listen to more of it by searching Lurking Vowel wherever you stream music. It's on YouTube for free if you'd like to stream it that way. It is on Spotify, Amazon, and iTunes, and Apple Music. And yes, it is on iTunes. I know that because people, someone actually bought one of my full albums, which was crazy. Next week, I'm doing the Surviving New America retrospective episode. And I'll be reading parts of Nero's first couple of chapters and just kind of discussing the book by and large, um, mostly book two, because I've already covered book one in prior episodes. And there's a lot that I've left unsaid about Surviving New America. But I loved writing that book. 
and ironically, it is my father's favorite book of mine. I I have a hard time figuring out which book of mine I like the most because I just finished Birch this year, and so that was very dear to me. But I spent almost a decade writing both Demise and Price of the Trinity, and I pretty much shat out surviving new America in less than a year, which was nuts. And with Birch, I wrote it way faster than anything I've ever written before in terms of a long-term project. And now I've spent a few weeks working on this Nero project, which I'm going to be reading on the podcast. And it's going to be a challenge for me because for one thing, I've already done the work in terms of the writing. I've also composed the soundtrack that I'm going to have for it. And I'm going to have music playing in the background to kind of set the mood as an intro and outro as well. But I'm going to have, you know, the first few minutes of the podcast where I just talk per usual. I probably won't exceed 10 minutes. I may not even go that much, but I know that some chapters are longer than others. And I think the the first chapter is probably going to be the shortest out of all of them. However... I have high expectations for this. I know that it's something that might not just blow up because I've tried things in the past and often, so often, they are, you know, they go down like Led Zeppelins. So I'm not expecting this to make me a hugely successful author or even a hugely successful podcaster. However, I'm doing it for the love of writing and also to try a new medium with my writing because I don't want to just put things out on Amazon for the rest of my life. I want to do other things. And so uh, the podcast is also going to be used as a vessel for that writing that I want to pursue within the next few years. Also, I intend to continue the serial of Nero and his story as long as people want to hear it. So if people listen to this and they like it, I don't care if it's, you know, five people. I don't care if it's 30. I don't care if it's thousands. I will do more for you if you want to hear it. But now we're going to be getting into this literary short story, although it really stretches the bounds of the literary genre because it does get a little dark, just like Foley got dark. Now, this is kind of in relation to Foley, because it does involve someone being held captive, but not in a violent manner. It's actually done as a means to help this person. But that's for you to judge. So, I offered to buy him a few beers at lunch. Instead... I'm sitting at a table by myself with an ice water with all my calls going to voicemail. Dad said he tried his first beer when he was 10. I didn't even finish the one he bought me when I would turn 21. The smell repulses me after so many exhales into my face when he'd get angry. And Dad wasn't physically abusive. Never had a cuss word to say to Mom. Some men have a thirst they never quench, and he's still emptying bottles to wet a rusted whistle. I go ahead and eat a salad because I know he won't show. 
the waiter has selective hearing because I told him no tomatoes. Brushing away food with my fork makes me feel like a kid at my grandmother's house when she made chili and I ate around the beans. Grown men shouldn't have to be made to feel like children when they're paying for a meal. I know he's making five bucks an hour if he's lucky, but I have to check on dad on a half-empty stomach. Can I get you anything else? The waiter asked. I let out a long breath from my tight lips and looked down at the tomatoes covered in ranch dressing, but he doesn't seem to get it. Instead of being a complete prick, I pull out a 20 and stick it in front of him before getting up to leave. Everything all right, sir? No, I say. Well, I I hope you have a nice day. Yep. Dad lives in a house built in 1964 when suburban neighborhoods were a couple of streets, a bunch of trees, and no sidewalk. The driveways are broken concrete and growing small ecosystems in their cracks. A place like this would be great for gentrification if it was near anything. His 86 Ford F-150 only sees the straw that falls off the pine trees overhead and the liquor store parking lot. Since he has all his groceries delivered, he doesn't need to go anywhere. Usually when I come around back, I hear his TV, but there's nothing going on inside. He doesn't wonder who is walking into his house, apparently. I see why when he's passed out on the couch. A plastic grocery bag holds his empties. Dad's beard always tell me how long he's been on a bender because he only shaves when he's sober. Waylon Jennings might tell him to stop copying his style today. Dad, I poke him. Whatever sound he makes with his mouth tells me it'll be a while. I was fine with this when Mom was alive, but this act gets old when I'm half an orphan. Last year, I paid 6000 for a rehab program, and as soon as the old man got out from a 30-day vacation, he stopped at Applebee's to order a Corona. Dad. Rather than talk to myself, I go to the fridge and see an empty box of Heineken and half a bottle of Jack Daniels. In the freezer, there are some frozen pizzas and three cans of Bud Light. His supply is low, so he'll have an excuse to go out tonight. Too bad I'm pouring it all out in the sink. Part of me hurts reading this because I stopped drinking in 2018. This is me talking, not the narrator of the story, by the way. And what happened was I was at my dad's in North Carolina. Was it North or South Carolina? I don't care. I think it's South Carolina because he lives near Charleston. But I love whiskey. I think whiskey is actually very, very tasty. And I love a, a Jack and Coke. I, I love the taste of that. But I was at my dad's and he had a lot of nicer whiskeys. And he also had apple pie moonshine that he made that was apparently from my great-great-grandfather, Ike. And yes, I met my great-great-grandfather. I knew him and my great-grandfather. And they both died in the same year. And I've written about that in the past. But it, it does interest me that such things are passed down like heirlooms. 
and why I don't have a copy of this recipe, even for the sake of a memory is beyond me. But suffice it to say, I had six shots in a five minute period while tasting these various whiskeys, not realizing what I was really doing. And then I didn't get drunk somehow from five servings of whiskey. I just ended up kind of giggling for a while on my dad's toilet as I went in there to do whatever. And then I felt good for a minute and then it went away and I was able to drive a couple of hours later. It was no big deal. So, you know, at that point I was probably about the same size I am now, but Actually, I think that was right before I went on a diet. So I may have been over 200 pounds at the time. So I I guess maybe my weight contributed to me being able to hold off, but I, I don't understand why I was able to do that. But back in 2014 and 2015, sometimes I would just have one drink and I would feel numb all over. So... I was scared to drink sometimes, and then other times I was very eager. And, you know, one night back in 2015, early 2015, I was going through it, and I said to myself, I'm going to drink this entire bottle of vodka. And the only thing that really happened was I got tipsy, and I had the giggles, and I woke up fine the next morning. And I went on a bender for a couple of weeks. I don't remember the entire month of February of 2015. So there's that. So alcohol is something that is destructive, but it's so part of our society. It's something that's used to celebrate and alcohol in and of itself is celebrated. And it's interesting to me that there's this line that's drawn by our society that says when it's good to drink and when it's bad to drink and the fact that people are celebrating with something that destroys lives. So you don't really realize how ingrained it is in our culture until you quit doing it when you're older. So, yeah. And people are suspicious of people who don't drink, which is odd to me. I'm kind of suspicious of people who drink a lot. If I could put him on another planet for a few months, maybe he would quit drinking. Even a dry county has ways to get around the law. If his liver doesn't resemble a sour cucumber, my now, he might have a few years of sobriety left. Filling a glass with cold water, I stand over him, wondering if I should do this. He could wake up swinging or not wake up at all. Through the blinds, I see the house across the street is empty. If we end up hurting each other, no one is going to hear. He tries wiping the water from his face and looks up at me with his eyes swimming. Five more minutes of this and I'll stick an ice cube up his ass. That's how Graham Parsons was revived shortly before he died, by the way. Dad holds up his arm so I help him sit up on the couch. Can I sleep? He asked. You can when it's nighttime, I say. You were supposed to meet me for lunch. Ah, shit, he says. I thought that was tomorrow. Today is tomorrow. I got fed up with this yesterday. Do I spend another 6000 to get him sober again? Some people 
have to go more than once. I could drive him to an AA meeting, but he's an atheist and thinks they're a cult. What is to be done to save my father? Where are your keys, I ask. Why? Because I'm not going to let you go to the liquor store anymore. God damn it, Dutch, I don't come to your house and tell you to stop jerking off to porn. Jerking off to porn doesn't hurt me. Nothing I do hurts you. Trying to keep me from drinking does. I have a knife in my car I can use to slash your tires if I have to. I got a lawnmower. It's a push mower, and by the look of your yard, you haven't used it in a month. Least it'll keep me from falling on my face. He leans on me to walk to the bedroom. There's a black sheet covering the window that wasn't there last time I came in here. As he's settling into the comforter, I open his drawer on a side table to check for a hidden bottle. Nothing under the bed either. The TV on the dresser is probably older than most kids in high school. I think it used to be in my room. Where are the keys, I ask. He's gone. I pat down his jeans and there's nothing in the pockets. He probably left his keys and wallet and his hat on the kitchen counter. Why even bother passing out in the living room when he can watch TV and sleep in his bedroom? I guess he has standards. I unlock the F-150 and crank the engine to check the the gas and to see if any of the alert lights pop up. At least he keeps his oil changed. If I really wanted to protect Dad from himself, I'd drive this to my place and take an Uber to get my car. He could report it stolen, but the police don't put out an all-points bulletin for stolen vehicles. Unlike him, I use my garage, so they're not going to find it. Instead of going full psycho on Dad, I lock the truck and leave. Unless he knows how to use Uber, he's not going to go to the liquor store without his keys. My life is more important than saving his right now anyway. Not that I'm some vibrant peacock man about town. The only differences between Dad and me are a few thousand dollars in the bank and what we keep in our freezer. I work from home, so I don't have to get out if I don't feel like it. Buying a brick home with a basement, two-car garage, and upstairs bedroom overlooking a golf course didn't guarantee me love. My father's F-150 would get me more glances than the Mercedes GLC I drive. Trying to parent my father is almost like a side hustle. I can't expect anyone to want to walk into that. When my alarm goes off, I'm grateful. The dream I had was a nightmare, but also calm. I kidnapped a whole family, husband, wife, two kids, and a grandmother. The husband went to work like normal. The wife did my chores. The kids had questions, but played and usually ignored me. The grandmother attacked me over and over, and I kept killing her. She wouldn't stop coming back. What I last remember is looking out my back window in the darkness and a film crew set up around these black people making a movie in my backyard. The kids ran around laughing under the string lights. Nobody noticed me watching them. I'm not someone who believes dreams mean anything, but they do make me think differently. Do I crave my own family? What was the film crew and why was everyone in this movie black? Is my subconscious racist? Now I'm going to be worried about that. Kidnapping was okay, I guess. Racism isn't a disease you catch, though. When I clock out to go to the dinner, 
I remember the grandmother never trusting me and using her nails to attack me. Everyone in the family was white and ordinary. She was Italian or Spanish, though. My waitress looks like a baby. She's probably 20, but everyone of that generation looks like a child to me. When I finish my roast and potatoes, I look around the diner, and I'm the only one here. I swear there were two whole parties when I walked in. Can I ask your opinion? I tap on the bill. What's that? The waitress ask. First, what's your name? Cinnamon. Are you serious? Is that what you wanted to ask me, sir? Uh, sorry, I say. Do you believe dreams mean anything, Cinnamon? Oh yeah, she nods. What's your sign? I'm a Virgo. Cool, I'm a Pisces. Dreams are, are, are like our minds trying to tell us what we need the most. Offer for Cinnamon to sit across from me so I can tell her about the dream. Instead, she goes to refill my Diet Coke and listens from behind the counter. What was with the random black people, she asked. Right, I say. Am I secretly racist? Could be. I doubt it, though. It could mean that you envy black people and you feel like you're stuck in your life watching them live theirs. Maybe, I say. Why are you more worried about being racist than kidnapping people? Because everyone but the grandma was content. I might as well have been staying at their house. But you remember more about the grandma. I'll leave a $20 tip, which is more than the bill, and figure it's time to check on Dad. A whole day without his truck keys and access to alcohol. He'll probably shoot me or I'll walk into the house to see everything broken. This time, I look in the front window before going in. The TV's on the Weather Channel, and he's sitting on the floor propped against his recliner. An empty bottle sits between his legs. From this angle, he could be watching local on the 8s or sleeping. Inside the living room, I kneel to look at the Canadian mist bottle. Looks like he ripped off the plastic protection and chugged it. Picking up his Galaxy phone, I see he called a lift. Now I have to take his phone away too. How do I dry this old man out? If my dream meant anything, it's that I want my family. He's the only living family I have. I can't start my own, my own and look after him. Either I abandon him to die or fix this. Dad doesn't rouse when I drag him to bed, but he accepts the blanket and nods as if I did alright. I bet even if I did take his phone, he'll find a way to that liquor store. He really would ride a lawnmower if he had one. How many times a day does he eat? If he's at the point where he'd rather drink than eat, I don't suppose he'll be hungry if he misses a few meals. Maybe I should bar up his windows and put a lock on the door to keep him in there. He could break the glass and still yell for help, though. Would I be helping Dad if I kept him confined? If he can't help himself, then I have to try. I could tie him to his bed, but rope isn't reliable. Maybe leather belt strapped to his bedpost. Handcuffs would likely hurt his wrist after a while. Do I have enough time to train a dog to bite him if he tries to leave? 
With his phone and keys, my only worry is that he'll walk down the street to a neighbor and appeal to them for a ride. But I know of one place he can't get out of, and no one can hear him yell. So, as the author, I'm chiming in here to tell you that this thought process that this character Dutch is going through was my thought process when I was writing this. That dream that he had was an actual dream that I had. And I probably just incorporated it literally the morning I had the dream. I don't remember having the dream, but I know that I did have that dream because I wrote it in this. Because I'm not that creative. But this this inward processing that he's he's doing, I do it with a lot of my characters and what I write. And what's funny is that I don't base my characters on myself for the most part. But they end up being slightly like me because yes, I have to go through thought processes and I write that thought process down because I want to make the character seem more real. So I give them real thoughts and I go through all these different possibilities because this character is not just going to come to the conclusion about what he's going to do instantly. He's going to think about all the different possibilities, even if they're silly, like training a dog to keep his father from drinking and I did that with Nero. I did that with Birch and the novel Birch. I did it probably with Demise and Price and Surviving New America and all my other shit. Hoisting Dad up, I drag him to the back door and lean him against the yellow bricks of his house so I can back my Mercedes up and open the rear storage door. As I push my drunk father into a vehicle, effectively kidnapping him, I wonder if this will get me in trouble. Not if anyone fails to find out, of course. The beautiful thing about my home is that I can close the garage and no one sees what I bring inside. People see their garages as storage units or sheds connected to their home. But most people are stupid. The ones smart enough to actually park their cars inside are likely serial killers. Dragging Dad across a hardwood floor isn't difficult. But letting him down my carpeted steps to the basement is worrisome. I envisioned my basement being a home theater, but I only store old books and a leather sofa down here. My 70-inch OLED and soundbar upstairs make all the notions of a home theater obsolete. Now, one cool aspect of the basement is the sliding door I installed to separate the stairwell from the main room, so I can close him in without worrying about him running up and beating on the ground level door. Unless he throws a paperback of roar and peace at my head, I don't think he has anything to hurt me with. There's a bathroom with a small shower so he can drink from the sink and use the bathroom like a rational person without feeling imprisoned. I'm not doing this to hurt Dad. I'll have, to repeat, I'll have to remind myself why I kidnapped my father every hour until he's ready to go home. There's a chance he'll never forgive me and try reporting me to the police, but would I rather him pickle his liver or take a chance on saving him? For now, I'm going to spread some pimento cheese on butter bread, nearly burn some butter in a pan, and cook a sandwich to complement the Doritos I forgot I bought the other day. Put on some Rippingtons and watch the golfers from the kitchen bar. I'm going to be content and not let the man downstairs ruin my life. Around nine, I walk down with a bag of double cheeseburgers I ordered on DoorDash in an empty plastic cup. 
First, I unlock the sliding door and listen. There's no stirring. When I peek inside, Dad is sitting on the sofa with his forehead in his hand. A hangover will be my savior today. Instead of talking, I leave the bag and cup on the floor. Dutch, he asks. I lock the door back and run upstairs. I'll see him tomorrow after work and bring him new clothes to change into, though I suspect he will not appreciate that. Throughout my shift, I worry he's not alright. At best, he's bored and found a book to read. At worst, he's suffering alcohol withdrawal and puking on the carpet. Growing up, I saw him throw up in the kitchen sink too many times. Mom used to scold Dad about not going to the bathroom or trash can because she had to clean up after him. That is real, by the way. My dad had a bad habit of puking and sinks for some reason, which I know is something that you came here to this podcast to hear about. I can't let him have his phone for obvious reasons. It's too late to haul a TV down there. It would have to be an older TV without an internet browser because these days most of them can send messages with a little patience. I'm sure Dad is the type to think getting on Facebook with your TV is the height of luxury. Maybe he'd like a Game Boy. He's moaning in the bathroom when I come down. I set the towel, sweatpants, boxers, and an undershirt on the sofa before grabbing the McDonald's bag. He only ate half a burger. I order some Chinese soup and see if he can keep that down. After I finish my lo mein, I bring the clear soup container with the plastic spoon to the basement where Dad has yet to notice the clothes I brought and instead snores next to the toilet. Not wanting his food to get cold, I set the hot and sour chicken soup next to him and nudge him in the shoulder. Eat, I say. Thirsty, he motions. I bet you are. If you eat this soup, I'll bring you something other than water. Uh, Jim Daniels. No, I say. And it's Jim Bean and Jack Daniels. Hell, I never mixed them before, but I'll try it. I'm not bringing you alcohol. Uh, Why not? Do you have any awareness of this situation? I brought you here to keep you from drinking, you pig fucking asshole. Your mother wasn't that big. Eat, I repeat. I'll be back to check on you later. Hey, Dutch, Dad says. Hey, Dad, I'll settle for natural light if you have it. Unlike the burger, he doesn't even get half of the soup down. The next morning, he hasn't touched the bottle of Coke I left him. Do I remain patient and hope he gets better or let him go home and fall back in his routine? Dad doesn't eat more throughout the week. Some of his food goes untouched and other times he picks at it. Whether he's doing this on purpose to go home or unable to hold much down, I'm not letting him out. I imagined having to restrain him like a mental patient, but he's an old dog unable to howl in the night and not quite content spending his remaining day sitting around with bloodshot eyes. I go to Target just to get out of the house and stop the urge to go see Dad. However, I peruse the men's department, considering if I should update his wardrobe a little. He's always wearing the same trucker hat, faded shirts, and a pair of Wranglers. He buys a new pair of jeans each year for 20 bucks and wears them exclusively. By the way, my dad admitted to do that, doing that. My father, apparently, 
I don't know if he still does it, but he will buy one pair of Wranglers each year and just throw out his old pair. And that's his pants for the year. (laughs) A woman with a whole cart strolls around me. I cannot stand being near people when I'm shopping. While Target has carts, people don't seem to get certain sections shouldn't have a cart in them. I usually walk away and look elsewhere. Sir, she asks, what size jeans do you wear? Uh, 36 waist, 30 length. Why? Well, I want to try a a men's pair of jeans. Given that the dress she wears outlines a figure that makes the mannequins jealous, I don't think any of these jeans would fit, will fit her. It takes me a moment to realize she's also wearing a wig. Not many young women have naturally white hair that's perfectly straight. How bored are you? I ask. You're the only one my age here today, she says. I think your retirement home must have driven a busload of old folks here today. I didn't notice. I'm actually looking for something to buy my dad. Stop bragging. How? Ooh, I have a dad and I'm going to buy him a Captain America shirt from Target because I'm a perfect son. I shouldn't laugh this hard. And I cover my face after snorting. For some reason, she hasn't run away. Do I look rich or something? I'm definitely not good looking enough to pull her. I'm Cynthia, she says. Dutch, I say. Mr. Cynthia is a lucky guy. Excuse me, do you see a ring on this finger? I'm not spoken for, honey. I'm solo, Cynthia, until I meet a man I can take to church without my pastor singling me out. Yikes. Nah, I'm just single because I'm fucking crazy. We leave without buying what we came for. Three hours later, I'm thinking about texting Dad while I'm waiting for Cynthia to come back to bed. Do I spend the night here and let Dad go without dinner or split a pizza with the first woman to take interest with me since college? So, obviously, I order a pepperoni and extra cheese and update the address on the Pop John's app to Cynthia's apartment. When she lies back down next to me, I can't help rubbing my fingertips up and down her back. If she wanted to get married right now, I would face a judge in my underwear and sign the paperwork. I don't have to be in love with her when she looks this good. I'm going to interject here to say that there's one detail about Cynthia that I edited out because for one thing, I've totally forgot about the dream where he talks about seeing black people in his backyard. And I'm kind of dubious about that. I haven't read this since I wrote it last year. So there's that, but also Cynthia was originally, and it's not necessarily that she is white, but she was originally described as a black woman. And the thing about being a white male author is that I have to be mindful of when I make a character a different race. And when I write a character that is a woman that's randomly eager to hook up with the protagonist of the story that kidnaps his father, I need to be mindful of how she will be perceived. And so it's not that she's not black. It's just that I have changed that one detail because that sentence where he talks about seeing a a young woman in a wig, it was originally not young woman. 
So just, I'm, I'm letting you know the process, my thought process. It's not that I'm afraid of offending someone by making a character black, but I am trying to be mindful of it and also my limitations as an author and what I can and cannot do. Why am I telling you this? Because, listen, this is a writing podcast and I need to be honest with you. I need to tell you my process. I just finished this Nero series and it, I, I was several chapters in before I realized I didn't have any women in the damn story at all. So I had to write this character. I didn't have to, but I did. And someone who was not a major part of the story because it is a very simple story, but someone who could contribute in some way. So I didn't want to just write a sausage sausage fest because it's mostly Nero talking to police and shit. But I have to be mindful as an author to have some variety in my work. And it's easier to do that with longer stuff like Surviving New America where I had uh, several characters of different races and sexualities. And Rosa, who is one of my favorite characters, she's a, a trans woman. So I am able to be more mindful of that when I have a lot more room to, to work with and a lot more room to grow. But with a short story, I don't want to just seem because the hookup in this is random. It, it comes out of nowhere. And I already questioned that, like, why do I have to have this character in here at all? And then I have to think, well, part of the reason why I have her here is because it helps the character Dutch realize that he can have a life outside of just taking care of his father and work. So there's that. And I still, as the author, I still imagine that this woman is African-American. And it's not that, again, I have to be mindful of why that is. Why am I making this character this other race? Why am I even writing a woman at all? I have to, to ask myself these questions. And authors who or even readers who ask me, well, what's the difference between writing a man or a woman? What's the difference between writing a white character, a black character, an Asian character, or any other race? Well, I'm not those other people. I'm just a white guy, and I don't even represent all other white guys. You have to understand, everyone's got a different perspective. And adding things in that affect them on a daily basis, that changes that character's perspective. So would a woman that's in Target randomly hook up with this regular white guy if she was... A different race than him doesn't matter if it's black or Asian or Native American it's just a question of authenticity only a couple of episodes ago I was covering Suter by Percival Everett and I started writing my lesson plan for that today because not this upcoming week but in the next week I'm going to start covering it in class so I have to as a white man construct a lesson plan on the race and the factors of and themes of race in this novel that is not about race <laughs> and 
the idea of this man traversing this world, even though his race, if you remember from my four episode series on the book, it is a factor in this narrative and it's something that comes up and yes, he's able to live a relatively normal life. And it's not a book that's solely based around the fact that this character is a black man written by a black man. No, it is something that is part of him though. And it's part of the reason why his mother is probably not able to get adequate care during the, this, the period of the, the flashbacks. And these are things that as an instructor, I have to be mindful of as well, because I have students who are not white. So I have to think about how I come off as a white guy standing up there talking about something that they probably know more about than I do, at least on a personal level. So I don't speak for anybody else but myself. I don't even speak for other men or white people, but you get where I'm going with this. So the other guys I picked up in Target this week weren't this sweet, Cynthia says, and they left right after they came. Did you use the same pickup line about jeans, I ask? No, they approached me, usually in pairs. Pairs of, of jeans? One guy wasn't even wearing pants. He said he, he was an old Asian guy following me around the store and I took him home like a lost puppy. Sucked his dick dry and sent him home happy. At, at, at this point, I say, I, I don't hope you're joking. Everything I've told you is a lie, she says. I mean, this isn't even my real hair. That much I knew. Honestly, it's been so long for me that I wouldn't care if that old man was watching in the corner. It's been a minute for me, too. Around 12 the next day, I stopped by Wendy's to get Dad a 4 for 4 and a Coke. I would be nervous about him keeling over while I was gone, but fasting wouldn't be the worst thing for him since he throws up everything. Now, given the renewed perspective of getting laid, I might let him leave. Leaning down to check his pulse and listen if he's breathing, I set the food next to him and shake Dad's shoulder a little. He looks up at me and rolls his eyes before spotting the Wendy's bag and reaches in for a fry. Where you been, he asks. I got stuck in traffic. Did it snow again or something? Once he's eating the burger, I sit down next to him and my phone vibrates. Cynthia sent me a text. Want to help me shop for pants? These euphemisms are get starting to confuse me. I ain't ever seen you get a text from nobody, Dad says. You ain't ever seen me get a text from nobody, but you sure as hell just saw me get a text from somebody. Oh, he nods. You got your nut. That's why you were gone, I see. It, it kind of happened suddenly, I say. I find the best pussy that way, Dad says. Suddenly, like I'm walking around with a fishing pole and they just run up looking for the bait. Please stop. Shit, you got your face sticky and you won't even let me celebrate with a drink? Why would you be celebrating? Maybe now you'll leave me the hell alone and do what I want. Uh, even though this man is my father, do I have the right to try changing him? He lost his wife. We both watched her slowly lose her hair 
and about 50 pounds before one day she just didn't wake up. Why would that image make him want to get sober? I don't want you to die, I say. Not the way you're dying now, anyway. I'm living, he says. Just not wherever you stashed me. Where are we, anyway? My basement. It was either this or chain you to your bed. Least I'd have TV. You really want me to stop drinking, huh? You're really never going to, huh? On the way back to Dad's place, I stop by the liquor store and get him some Jim Bean and a case of Corona. He pops open a bottle before I even buckle up. When I watch him and I can't help my eyes watering, he looks out the window. I can look back and say Dad failed me as a father, but I'm in my 30s and wondering if I failed him as a son. Whenever I try helping, I feel too young to be carrying Dad around. He doesn't feel ashamed that I put so much money into his rehabilitation. Why buy him more alcohol? If my dad wants to remain on earth plastered and unconscious, I can't stop him from living how he wants. Your phone and keys are inside on the counter, I say. All right, Dutch, he says. Thanks for the medicine. When he gets out of the car, I watch him go inside. Pulling out my phone, I scroll to his contact and block the number. If he's dead ne- if he ooh, if he's dead next week, Freudian slip, I won't know. I'm not coming to check on him anymore. Cynthia's apartment is ten minutes away, so I head over and park near her door. She comes out wearing a black curly wig and stands on the sidewalk with her hands on her hips, waiting for me to get out. You got nothing better to do on a Sunday than stalk me? She asks. Yeah, get in and I'll take you away, chop you into pieces, and bury you in 15 different places. Now, that's a better plan than what my mama had when she passed. We had to donate her body to scientists and they posted pictures of her dead titties online. What? Are you going to take me out or not, Dutch? I can't help my curiosity and drive by Dad's house every few days. After I see him moving around inside, I take off. By the time I unblock his number, he's not blowing up my phone. I'm aware that my actions were not completely sane, but they were justified. Not only did I make a final attempt to help Dad, but he knew I wanted him to quit even if it took dire circumstances. By the time Cynthia's lease ends and she moves her wigs into my walk-in closet, I haven't seen Dad for four months. I met her parents, who were fairly disinterested in my race and didn't bring up religion or dead titties. Since Mom died long ago, I only have to worry about introducing her to Dad and him not forgetting her the next day. When I pull up the driveway, I park and notice the F-150 is parked in the garage for once. What do you do with the junk in there? Foreboding evidence aside, I escort Cynthia around the back and knock on the door since I'm not keen on walking in on my drunk dad half-naked with my girlfriend saying what she has to look forward to in 20 years. Dad answers, and I initially think he's someone else, a stranger who shouldn't be here. He's got a haircut, with a comb having recently touched his scalp. The totally unkempt beard is now goatee, and he's wearing pants. Granted, a bottle of Corona is in his hand, but he's alive. Oh, 
Thank you, son, he says. I ain't seen a woman this purty in years. You can come pick her up in about an hour if you want her back. Okay, bye, Dutch, Cynthia says. I was just stopping by to make sure you were still alive, I say. I'll take my concubine elsewhere, though. Now, uh, hold up, he motions. Come in. This was an ending that I know I worried that it would come off as disingenuous or almost hallmarky. So I gave him the bottle of Corona because I didn't want to just make him sober. But him taking care of himself while still drinking, well, that is a compromise. And it's a little bit more more realistic, I suppose. And yes, there is the mention of race there earlier when he talks about meeting her parents. I didn't edit that part out because I didn't know it was there. And I won't edit it out now because who cares? I just dropped my pen top. Listen, this is a professional podcast and I don't appreciate people saying otherwise. I need to get this pen cap off the floor and... Oh, Lordy. I'm not going to edit this part out. Fuck it. I'm going to take a drink of water, too. So, I don't know what else to say. Part of me worries that when people hear this episode, they'll think I'm a fucking asshole. But, who knows? Maybe people will get it. Maybe people will, will get where I'm coming from. Maybe not. I assigned Bukowski in my class. And part of the reason why is because I wanted to have them read poetry. And reading poetry when you're 18 years old is not always easy because you read it in high school maybe once or twice and you didn't like it. So I wanted to give them a poet that I enjoyed and someone that I found was very readable, if that's a word. And several students responded very positively to it. And I didn't tell them anything about Bukowski prior to this and I know a lot of them don't even bother googling who these people are when I assign them in class so with the poetry I picked poems out of essential Bukowski that were purposefully not like the typical Bukowski poem and then the next week I gave them a few that were a bit more like stereotypical Bukowski And one of the students is just fixated on one of those later poems because I talked about the accusations of sexism and misogyny in his work, but I also talked about the fact that a lot of other authors that people read in school are considered terrible people, like F. Scott Fitzgerald. People read the hell out of The Great Gatsby, and he was a piece of shit. And... You know, Bukowski didn't have to steal his wife's work and put her in a mental hospital. So there's that. And I I wanted them to see that there's a complicated person behind these words, someone who is thoughtful and has feelings. And I, for the most part, have seen positive results from that. But I still have this one student, and she's very bright and I like that she's actually trying to analyze the work. Um, I just don't think that the evidence is there for what she's trying to prove. And she's basing it all around this idea that uh, he's a terrible person. But I'm trying to get them to move away from thinking about just the author's perspective on things. Think about things from the text 
what's the evidence in the text? So I've had several students, well, I say several. It hasn't been very many. It's been like two or three. And I've caught three students plagiarizing this semester, and it hurts me every time, and it pisses me off too. So I have to remind them, look, I only want you analyzing this text. I don't want you looking for outside information. I don't want you plagiarizing outside information. Just look at what's there because that's what they need to, to, to learn. They need to learn how to do closed readings. And that is not something that they're able to, to grasp as well, I think, because of what they were taught in high school. And um, I essentially have to help them unlearn what they learned in high school. So, oh, I have a lot of work ahead of me. I'll say that. And I'm not sure that I'm going to keep going after this because it's been very difficult because I'm new to this. So I'm learning along with them in many ways, but I'm qualified to grade their papers <laughs> and I'm qualified to change their grades in the grade book if need be. And what I, I struggle with is, is getting across notions to them. Even if I write it down in plain words, they're often not getting it. So I have to, to kind of think about how to communicate effectively aside from blowing up their emails or repeating it over and over in class because I do that and some of them still just totally disregard what I say. And they might be doing that anyway because they don't care they don't care what grade they make as long as it's not an F so um, yeah so I've got that going for me anyway this has been Patrick Attaway with Demise of the podcast happy reading happy writing have a lovely week ahead of you